Hold on to your butts. Hello and welcome to episode 26 of the Reviewed Movie Podcast. I am Ivan Kander, and as always, I am joined by my two co-hosts, Dave Glanz and Mike Morandi. Say hello, gentlemen. Hello, hello gentlemen. gentlemen. <laughs> and this is a very special episode for a variety of reasons. And let's 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 list those. Um, but before I actually get into the meat of the show, it's a big ju- week. This is a big week, but uh, this is the podcast where we talk about movies in a modern cinematic context, old movies, and see if they hold up. You can find us on the web at reviewedpodcast.com, at facebook.com/reviewedpodcast, and you can email us at contact at reviewedpodcast.com. Dot com. Uh, not to bury the lead too much, on today's episode we are going to be discussing uh, Michael Nichols. The Graduate. The Graduate. The 1967 film starring Dustin Hoffman. Um, But I did want to um, (laughs) start this show a a little bit differently for a couple of reasons. One, we've been doing this for roughly a year now. And we get to pat ourselves on the back a little bit, I think. Do you want to do that? That's okay. No, no, you got to go that way. No, no, you you pat me on the back. This doesn't make good radio. Yeah, this is not. This is is fine. (laughs) People Uh, can imagine. You patted my armpit, actually. (laughs) Yes, I did. Celebration (laughs) of one year, I've been just tickled Dave's armpit. (laughs) That's what I do. That's how I celebrate things. So we've been doing this for uh, 26 episodes, and we started last winter, and... Mm -hmm. um, I think we've been getting better. I'm afraid to listen to early episodes because of how um, uh, I don't know if we were any good at all. I don't know if we're getting any better or worse. I don't know if we're any good right now. I, but hey, I, yeah, we're here. I don't know if we're any good now, <laughs> but I feel like we're getting a little bit better and a little bit more incisive with each one. So this is kind of a big deal, and I kind of wanted to reflect on that moment. I, it's weird every time we go into a new year. You know, I feel like there's just, there's like it forces you to think back about what what has transpired in the previous oh, sure. in the previous months, yeah. and um, I feel like this was an exciting year for a variety of reasons for me in my personal life. And um, you became a dad. I became a dad. Mm-hmm. Um, Daddy O. Mm-hmm. I, I I work for myself now, which is works for himself. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm off the, the worst master he's had yet. <laughs> uh, so you know, exciting stuff. I mean, Mike is. Uh, Doing the same thing he did. Mike, Mike is like, <laughs> no, a, not true. I want to follow up an announcement. Our uh, the um, Kickstarter. Kickstarter that we I, I pimped last week. Uh, the Ottoman has been successful as Six, of this morning. It so was we, successfully funded, and I want to say it only became successfully funded after I plugged it on this show. So <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. We saw a huge uptick in followers. But so it, so you know, Mike's working on this really awesome short film, and uh, you should check that out. Um, it's the Ottoman. It's a short film animated in Cinema 4D. It looks really really cool. Um, so that's an awesome awesome project. You should go check it out uh, now that it is officially going to be made because they they reached their goal. So and it's not about it. a piece of furniture. No, it's not. Well, no. Hmm. Most oh. mostly not. I thought that was the twist ending. I thought that he's it, actually a piece of furniture the entire time. Like it just pulls back and he transforms into an ottoman, and that's the end of the film. So that's very very exciting news uh, in regards to that. And Dave, Dave, do you want to share any news or no? You don't have to. Uh, no, I mean that's. Uh, I'll share some news. I mean, yeah, okay. So yeah, we're having another baby. So let's. Hey. <laughs> hey. <laughs> so, so, I mean, you know, not to get too in, you know personal into our lives, but Dave is going to be a father again. Yeah, yeah. So that's fantastic news as well. So that, I think 2014 in general was a pretty kick-ass year. I, yeah, I, it was a good year. One yeah. of the better years I've had. So mm-hmm. this is um, mm-hmm. all said and done, some very, very cool stuff. And in terms of this podcast, I wanted to, um, like, the goal of this podcast is to watch old movies and talk about them and see if they kind of hold up and also expose ourselves to movies that we may have missed or, you know, never got a chance to watch. Which expose in, yourself. Which, yes. <laughs> Which, in the case of Mike, is every movie that we've watched. <laughs> but, I mean, starting with you, well, I guess I'll start. I'll let you guys formulate your thoughts. Yeah. Um, I want to, like, what movie kind of really struck you 
that, you know, in rewatching. And the one that really comes to mind uh, in our list is um, The Fly. Uh-huh. Which was uh, a movie that I be- was scared to watch <laughs> for like twenty years of my you life. Made me I'm, scared uh, to watch it. Yeah, no, I just I I thought I was going to be grossed out and not engaged. And um, now I I understand not only why it's so acclaimed, but I I hold it up in one of my more respected movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't probably haven't seen it enough to be a favorite movie, but really a movie that kind of really struck me and surprised me. And I think that's the key is like, what movie surprised you when you watched it right. uh, or rewatched it? Uh, so Dave, what about you? What do you think? <sighs> movies that surprised me. Um, yeah. I'm like looking at the list here and thinking, did any of these movies actually surprise me? I don't know that any of them actually surprised me, but I think um, for me, maybe, well, uh, I think the, I think the one that I probably enjoyed rewatching the most was maybe when Harry Met Sally. <laughs> it's been a long time since I've seen it. Oh, uh, I was at a, uh, a gathering this weekend, and someone kept on yelling out, um, "Oh, I'll have what she's having." No, no, uh, uh, <laughs> baby uh, fish, baby fish mouth, baby fish mouth. <laughs> and I totally got the reference because of rewatching <laughs> when Harry Met Sally. So that's fantastic. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna change. So you're not saying what's our favorite movie, right? You're saying what which one kind of like stuck out in, in either yeah. a bad or or yeah, like what okay. what is a surprise? I guess. So so I'll tell you what's surprising. Uh, the Never Ending Story is a movie that I loved growing up, <laughs> you know, and I never would have thought that I would have rewatched this movie and and and, and thought what well, is it? Not, not I did it. not hate it, but I didn't like it. So you know, it's for me that was probably the list. I'm looking at the list of movies here. I think The Never Ending Story is probably my least favorite, along with Top Gun. <laughs> but I had already I already knew how I feel about Top Gun. Um, but the, the Never Ending Story was was a little bit heartbreaking for me because uh, you know I I used to love that movie and, and watching it now it's just uh, even with nostalgia it didn't hold up for me. So um, so that that one that one stuck out as like oh I, I rewatched it I guess I'm glad I did or maybe I should never maybe I should, should never should have rewatched it because no 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 but I think that's I mean we talk all the time on this podcast about the role nostalgia plays in movies and if we're watching something and it's like oh we only like it because we saw it when we were twelve is an example that doesn't always happen you might see a movie and think it's awesome and when you go back and see it eh, it might not hold up as well yeah yeah uh, I think the movie that maybe held up the best for me. Uh, God, it's a it's a lot. Maybe I think maybe L.A. Confidential. I mean, L.A. Confidential for me is a movie that just it gets better. It was, I, I think you were the one, Ivan, that didn't quite love it as much as, as I think. Am I, am I wrong? I mean, you were like, this is a, a good for you movie that you enjoyed, but for me, this is a good for you movie that I really enjoyed. So <laughs> I think I think of all the movies I'm looking over from last year, we had we did Blade Runner, Road to Perdition, Miller's Crossing. Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Talented Mr. Ripley, Never Ending Story, Ghostbusters, A Clockwork Orange, Fugitive, Field of Dreams, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Harold and Maude, The Rocketeer, Jaws, L.A. Confidential, Top Gun, When Harry Met Sally, 2001, Good Morning Vietnam, Hoosiers, 12 Monkeys, The Exorcist, Fly, Magnolia, Batman, and The Graduate. Which will be today's episode. What about you, Mike? And I'm sorry I keep on looking at this. Um, Your inputs were switched so you were i was like why is dave so loud and i was like oh because i keep on upping <laughs> you're upping mine and you're actually upping dave's yeah, yeah. yeah that oh, was well. the reason that's all right we're professionals it's oh, all right. see that sounds so much better hello mike is back baby oh, hello yeah. those are the dulcet tones of <laughs> mike, mike Randy. so what about you mike yeah i think uh dave stole la confidential form from me so i don't know if i can if I can really, yeah, you really <laughs> no I, I i that by far i think it was my favorite favorite of the year i think they really uh that's just a great movie. The great storytelling, tight storytelling, great characterization. Love the characters. Um, I'm trying to think of some other surprises. I know like Jaws was uh, was a big one. I I went into that expecting. I'll tell you what. I'm kind of biased against like old movies, but 
Jaws is one of them as old as it was. I really I just enjoyed love it. that you're on a podcast that talks about old movies. This is really why like- I'm on. This is why I'm on a podcast that talks about old movies. <laughs> um, yeah, Jaws, uh, and even The Graduate. We'll talk about it. But that's yeah. another one. I think that really I, diff- completely different from what I thought it would be. Well, that, I think that's kind of a good segue to move into. The Graduate. Anyways, I just want to say thank you, gentlemen, for the year. It's oh, been, yeah. God, it's, it's been, been awesome. It's been, it's been a pleasure. I look and forward to this to every every two weeks. It's been a but lot yeah. of fun. And thanks to our wonderful audience. Yeah. I All gonna, three of you. I was gonna, thank you. Yeah, for, I was going to be a lot more depressing, and I'm like, at least we're getting something out of this. I don't think anybody yeah, well, else is. I think you'd be surprised. So, um, yeah, this has been a pleasure, guys. So thanks so much for doing this. And, and you at home, thanks so much for listening. It, it really means a lot. Um, so, yeah. Let's talk about The Graduate. The Graduate. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Listen, everybody, I want you all to be quiet. I've got Ben's college yearbook here, and I just want to read you some of the wonderful things about Ben. Hey, there's the award-winning scholar. We're all very proud of you, Ben. How are you, track star? What are you going to do now? I was going to go upstairs for a minute. I meant with your future. Your life. Well, that's a little hard to say. Because a vision softly creeping Left its seeds while I was sleeping Mrs. Robinson, you're trying to seduce me. (laughs) Aren't you? Have you gotten to the room yet? I haven't, no. Do you want to? I'll get undressed now, is that all right? Sure. Shall I? I mean, shall I just stand here? I mean, I don't know what you want me to do. Why don't you watch? Oh, sure, thank you. Benjamin, are you having an affair with someone? So this is a film by Mike Nichols, as uh, as Mike likes to say, an EGOT award winner. He, he has won every major award. He's won an Emmy, a Tony, a Grammy, and an Oscar. And he recently passed away. And he recently passed away. Got so, that award, too. So, ooh. <laughs> is that an award? Yeah, they give the gravestone the way, the way you said it, it sounded like he, like, and also. Uh, 83. He was 83. That's not, not a bad. Uh, That's not a bad run. And he is a film, he's a filmmaker and a director for stage and screen that has, had a profound effect on you know Hollywood and its stars and um, The Graduate is a seminal film for a variety of reasons. Um, it's one of the most famous American satirical films of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe it's based on a novel. Yeah. Yes. Um, yes. Um, I don't know if it's. It feels like it's also based on a stage play, or at least was turned into a stage. It was turned, it was turned into a stage think, play. Yeah. It was written by uh, Charles Webb in 1963. And the film is essentially the story of a, a man who recently graduates college, a 20 year old named Ben, played by Dustin Hoffman, a 29 year old Dustin Hoffman. Coincidentally, isn't it strange that he's graduating at 20? Uh, instead of what, 21? 22. I think he's 21 in the movie. He's, he, no, he says he's about to turn 21 in the movie. Oh, okay. Um, he's a genius. I don't know. I think it's weird that a 29-year-old's playing a 20-year-old, but we'll get into that. No. Um, it's, it was the 60s. They did things weird back then. Like, <laughs> you, you can drink when you were like five years old. <laughs> but to get back on track, it's a movie about a, uh, a, a guy who graduates college. He's aimless, doesn't know what to do, and ends up being seduced by an older woman, one of his uh, father's co-workers. Mrs. Robinson, played by Anne Bancroft. Mm-hmm. Um, and Who, then he, ironically, is only, I think, six years older than him. Yes. And then, proceed, <laughs> and then through the course of the movie, uh, through his affair with Mrs. Robinson, proceeds to fall in love with her daughter, Elaine Robinson. Mm. So that's the basic uh, shtick of the movie, as it, it were. It was actually 50 years old when the movie was made. <laughs> <laughs> it looks Which fantastic is for really her age. weird. Uh, 
But this is a movie that is storied. It's very famous. It's on AFI's 100 Years uh, list of best movies. Mm -hmm. It's often, it usually tops best comedy list. It's critically acclaimed. It was critically acclaimed at the time and is critically acclaimed now. So, uh, Mike, since you have never seen this movie up until this point, Mm -hmm. as always, I'll start with you. How did you feel about The Graduate? I thought it was going to be a completely different movie, and I think I even alluded to that. I said what I thought, and Dave was like, whoa, nope, that's not what's going to happen. He said it was about a teacher. Yeah, I thought it was about a kid whose teacher, he was like attracted to his teacher, and I thought that he tries to sleep with her, and she shuts him down. The the title makes you you think it's going to take place in college or something. Yeah, it's just a completely different movie. Um, And I was surprised that actually I thought it was going to be him chasing this woman for the entire movie, and then they, they actually have the affair within like the first like what 30 minutes of the movie mm-hmm. this is um, the first act as it were right yeah exactly um and i thought I'm like well where's it gonna go from here like what happens mm-hmm. i don't understand um but but that being said again like i said before about movies that are I, I don't like movies that are or i think i don't like movies that are shot like way back like in the 60s and 70s because i'm mm-hmm. like how does it senses of humor were different then the craft was different then it doesn't really this like held up really well. I think Dustin Hoffman is a genius. I think he's yeah. comedically he's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I think uh, it just I, I I just get his humor in this movie. I think everyone does. It's just mm-hmm. the nervous like the way he he pulls off certain lines and his his mannerisms, everything just perfect perfect uh, choice for the role. Obviously, um, and yeah, there was just a lot of humor. I think a lot of really smart stuff in the movie. And uh, even I know I mentioned last week about color, use of color. We'll get into it later. I'll bore the audience to death <laughs> later on. But um, I actually, I thought I read about this movie in a book about color. I was reading about something else completely. This movie wasn't even in the book, but I still found yeah. a lot of like really interesting uses of color. And There's a lot of water in this movie. There's a lot of water. Water, the, the color blue, the color yeah. red, black, yeah. and white. Like yeah. four major. There's a lot of symbolism as well in, yeah, like, yeah. Um, in sets and stuff. And I'll, we'll talk about some of that. It wouldn't be a, a podcast unless Mike <laughs> talked about color for 20 minutes. Yes, sir. <laughs> That's what people sign up for. It's our hook. So you think it is deserving of its classic Absolutely, status. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Okay. Dave, yeah. you. When yeah. you saw this movie as a young boy. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, so uh, for me, my first exposure to Dustin Hoffman, I think, was probably Rain Man, which was 1988. He oh, won wow. Best Actor. So, wow. Uh, and he, he was in that movie with Tom Cruise. And they actually, if you look at that movie, they actually do look like they could be brothers. They both have like similar facial features. Like Dustin Hoffman looks like... What are you saying about Jewish noses, Dave? I'm saying Jewish noses are, are a little bit large, usually. And I'm All three of us have one right now. So right. Well, I definitely, I definitely do. Um, and Ivan, come on, we, we can, you know, anyway. Have all right. Looked at my profile? So Dustin Hoffman, guys. All right. Dustin Hoffman. Uh, I didn't, you know, so I didn't really see any older Dustin Hoffman movies until I saw The Graduate. Um, and I think the first time I saw it was on VHS when it was released for its 25th anniversary, which was 1992. So I bought that VHS and uh, I, I, it was one of those movies that I just watched throughout. So it was 92. I was a sophomore. So I probably watched it for two or three years. Just one of those movies that I had in rotation and, and I had, you know, tons of movies and then uh at home and i would you know i would dub movies from with like my vhs camera to from my vcr to vhs camera so i had i just had like i don't know how many movies like a video store you could have come to my house you could have rented the graduate i got probably could have made what would you charge uh i don't know 250 i guess for at the time 250 that was a lot of pretty good Two dollars and fifty cents, not two hundred fifty. No, two dollars fifty cents was a lot of money. It was like fifty dollars now. Anyway, so uh, I watched it a lot. I was also uh, at that time really into making movies with my VHS camera, and this movie was definitely influential. And, and um, you know, the, I, I, I should be able to do a cool. I, I wish 
I, I wish my cool own shot. A cool shot like like that one that one shot in that one edit in the graduate where he's in the pool and and uh, he you know he he kind of dives up and he ends up on Mrs. Robinson during that, yeah. that uh, you know there's yeah, a lot yeah. of like really cool yeah. film techniques in this movie that uh, I I could see how they might have been it might have inspired a lot of filmmakers so you know it was influential from uh, that perspective and it was also just the kind of general I think malaise isn't the word but uh, alienation yeah. that he no, feels malaise, malaise, is malaise, malaise yeah. and alienation yeah. that that uh, that Britain, he plays Benjamin Braddock that uh, Benjamin feels uh, at this point in his life you know I was getting to be a senior in high school uh, when I was watching this and he's a senior in college and we were you know the character and me were close in age so I can see how it, it really spoke to people, uh, you know, in the 60s, and it, it, it felt, you know, it, it felt like it was really working on me, even even 25 years later. So um, I, I think now, watching it, it's been like, I, again, it's been like almost, you know, 22 years. I'm watching it 22 years later. Um, I've, I've seen it a, a few times since then, but I definitely now have a different perspective on, on the whole uh, dynamic between uh, Dustin Hoffman's character and Anne Bancroft's character. When you're younger, and, and Mrs. Robinson comes off as like a villain, like this kind of yeah, shrewd yeah. old woman. But now, you know, in my pushing forty, uh, I'm older than Mrs. Robinson and Bancroft actually was in the movie. And her character, I'm guessing, is probably supposed to be forty or forty-one. Um, yeah, I would say I, like mid forties is what yeah, I would say. Yeah, I mean, so you, and, young men should probably stay away from Dave at this um, point. But you know, now, now watching the movie, she almost uh, she comes off as. Um, as cruel, but not quite as. Uh, she uh, seems alone. You lonely. can you can definitely identify with Mrs. Yeah. Robinson as as an adult more than you can, I think, as a as a teen when you're watching this movie. Right. Uh, at the same time, you know, I could I you know I was still I had a little bit of a different perspective of watching Dustin Hoffman's character. He was more heroic, I think. You know, more like a you know um, a, a rebel kind of character who you could when identify you were a child. With. You mean when when, you... when when I was younger and watching yeah, yeah. it, but, but now I, I can understand why that's appealing. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, so uh, he's also kind of a little bit creepy, you know. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I, then, I, I'll get into that discussion as well because I feel the same way about his character. But the bottom line is, is that I think this is a really well directed, really well written, and then um, I really appreciate the filmmaking craft. In, in the graduate, I mean, there's just a lot of I, I like the pacing of the uh, the musical sequences, and I like the um, the the way he uses the camera to really tell the story of mm-hmm. you know, isolation and alienation. There's a lot of technique that's used in this movie, I think, that really kind of helps sell the comedy too. And and um, so, yeah, it's it's I would say it's a classic. Well, it is. Yeah. So you don't fool, have to say it. Yeah. Fool well, I mean, it holds up. It, it yeah. holds up as a as a classic. You're saying the, it holds up is yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Well. I mean, my so I didn't see The Graduate until later. I don't think I saw it until I was in college. Um, however, my familiarity with this movie... Um, has anyone seen Wayne's World 2? Yes. The final 20 minutes of Wayne's World 2 is a direct right. parody of The Graduate. I forgot. Now, mm-hmm. when I watched it, Wayne's World 2, I was like, oh, this is a really funny sequence. But I had no clue that it is... It is like... It's like a shot-for-shot parody of the graduate it's the simon garfunkel mrs robinson riff with mike myers driving to to get to stop cassandra from getting married in the right, movie he right, drives the right. same red convertible he, he goes to the same church he goes to a same church he mm-hmm. stops at a gas station mm-hmm. he asks runs for out of gas? He, he, he runs out of gas yeah. he stops at, he, he, it, it's there's he, no way it could be 20 minutes it's gotta be like a five minute sequence it's like a 15 minute <laughs> sequence you, right. you need to watch it you're like and it's, it's shot for shot even like um so the end of the graduate when he's trying to stop Elaine from getting married, mm-hmm. the shot where like it shows the close up of the dad, you know, being like son of a bitch, you mm-hmm. know, like they mm-hmm. do that exact same shots in Wayne's yeah. World, like everything's mm-hmm. the same. And yeah. So 
I didn't really get the joke at the time, <laughs> but I get it now. Um, and that joke is brilliant, by the yeah. way. Uh, but getting back to the task at hand and watching The Graduate, I think that you cannot deny how well crafted it is. I mean, just like you're saying from a technical perspective, if you're really into watching movies just for the way things are edited and shot, this is like the movie for you. Just mm-hmm. because there's just so many little things about it, whether it be match cuts or um, tricks of the camera mm-hmm. and the way things are framed. There's a very iconic shot of Mrs. Robinson's leg in the, the forefront leg, yeah. and he's framed behind. He's framed underneath it. Mm-hmm. Just little things like that. Even um, a very 60s and 70s technique, which I think is used very effectively in this, is uh, telephoto zooms, yes. which is something yeah. you don't don't see ever really in, in modern motion pictures. But in this movie, they use it a lot. And it's really cool because they'll have this shot where it starts close up on Dustin Hoffman and then it will pan and zoom out and, you know, keep in a single shot. It's usually shot. him over one, one either over black or white. And then mm-hmm. you just pan out to see the rest of the scene. So yeah. I think that kind of stuff is really neat. And watching it again, I think it's a really good movie. And I think that... Um, I think it's really funny. I think that this time I was kind of taken away by a lot of the humor mm-hmm. uh, because a lot of the jokes are, I think, quite quite funny because it's this dry kind of sense of humor at, at certain points. I also um, kind of wanted to bring up this discussion with you guys is how much of this movie is meant to be taken literally in the sense that are we supposed to buy a lot of these events as being authentically happening or are they supposed to strictly be satirical? Because um, and this, I have issues with the second half of the movie about his motivations as a character and whether or not any of it makes any real sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that I think that's worth having a discussion about. Um, and also the motivations of all these characters, whether right. it be Mrs. Robinson, Elaine, and also mm-hmm. uh, Ben's character uh, at once. I think the movie is structured interestingly because interestingly, interestingly, yeah, that's in it. an interesting way. There you go. That's better. Uh, because it feels almost like a play. It feels like two acts of a play. The first act of the play is him coming home and then having this affair with Mrs. Robinson, and the second act is the turn where he goes after Elaine. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel like a three-act structured movie to me. Mm-hmm. It feels like two. Um, and I don't know if you guys agree with that, but it feels like it's 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 clearly delineated. In, in mm. two sides. Sure. And, I can uh, make the case for three, but it would be a very short yeah. third act. <laughs> Picking nits. Like, yeah. It's Picking like, nits, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, so I guess the topic I wanted to broach, I think we all enjoyed the movie is, yeah. is, is, is what it sounds like. So I kind of yeah. wanted to broach into this idea of satire. So in the movie, we're expected to believe that after one date, yes. Ben <laughs> wants to marry Elaine. Yeah. And not only that statement, which, I mean, you could chalk it up to, oh, he's finally found something that makes him feel not lethargic. Right. Uh, which is, you know, it, it's something that makes him feel like he wants to live his life because up to that point, it's been this weird sense of malaise, as you mm-hmm. mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that Elaine is interested in Ben. Yeah, it doesn't make it, any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Right. And I don't, that's what I'm saying is, is are we supposed to buy this as being a literal interpretation or are we supposed to, it's almost either, either it's A, Ben's perspective on how he's viewing the situation or is it, is it supposed to be funny? Is it supposed to be like, it's so outlandish that she likes uh, him? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, well, I'll say, I, I don't, I never took any of this as they didn't actually, like you look at a movie like Harold and Ma, and I feel like that's much more what you're saying. Like mm-hmm. nothing, that, none of that felt like actually real. But that relationship did develop but, over yeah, time. I but see no, that but I'm, yeah, I'm not talking about the relationship. I'm talking about yeah. just like the things that happened in the movie. Like, yeah. I'm like, what, is this really happening? Or is this like supposed to be a joke? Like, this felt very grounded in reality in the sense of, I think everything is very plausible and I think everything happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, 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 to be honest, I, I think he hit the nail on the head about Dustin Hoffman having feelings for her because I feel like he's just snapped out of this like 
nightmare of a life where he's just coming about like you know rudderless just floating around and i think he sees something that wakes him up right i buy that um and i don't necessarily don't and this is so weird because i think i every other podcast i've been saying like oh the relationship happened too quick and then <laughs> it's, i don't it doesn't make happen. sense this one it does happen and i bought it because mm-hmm. I, it didn't seem like it was a okay I, I think it works for the end of the film too it doesn't feel like a actual I'm in love with you in a very real sense of like a relationship love I think it's really more of, of just the infatuation stage I think the two of them are attracted to each other and I think mm-hmm. it's just something so new and real that he's never experienced that he thinks he's really mm-hmm. in love and I think she's just really flattered by his passion the fact that he shows up at, at her wedding and tries to win her back mm-hmm. and I think that for me that explains the end scene where I think he they're both in the back of the bus and they're like whoo that was exhilarating we love each other we're gonna get married or something <laughs> and they realize like we don't even know each other what the hell is going <laughs> well, on I, like yeah I mean that's kind of the elephant it's in the room it's a famous last it's shot it's a very yeah, yeah. famous last shot because yeah. I mean the happy ending is you cut you know with them smiling at each other but no he lets yeah. it play out where they're like oh crap now what do we do yeah 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 <laughs> and in some way like, I, I think I initially took it as like, well, he's right back in the place he was in the beginning of the movie. I, but I, I think I that's dark, though. I, I, I don't think, think it's that. I don't think it's to that extent. I think I, I reasonably say, well, okay, they gotta, they gotta work through some stuff. But I don't necessarily think he's in the exact same spot. I feel like, he, oh, see, I think they're trying to make that point. But I'm like, yeah. okay, maybe I don't want to believe that, that he's back in the same spot. He was no, in the yeah, beginning. that's what I took from it. I think it's like you, you, you reach. So Ben's this kind of character, right? That he strives for the goal and he really wants the goal, and then he gets it, and he's like crap now what do i do <laughs> and th- this is um it's a correlation with everything in life right because every mm. time you know whether it be success or you're you're striving for something you always think that you're going to become a better happier person if when you, you achieve it, that right. one thing and then oftentimes you do get that one thing and then you're like but that wasn't the thing that makes me happy and that's not the thing that makes it worth going so now i got to find something else to strive for so i mean in the case of ben let's say it's the idea of college like i'm going to graduate as you know straight I'm a track student, star i'm a track yeah. star and then he does that and he's like well, crap now now what and so he, then he finds this new thing to put that um, that drive towards elaine who is gorgeous. Well, for, first mrs robinson mm-hmm. ben elaine but well, mrs elaine. robinson's not that way for him i don't think I feel like she's no. a distraction in a certain way. Yeah. But, because but he doesn't have to work to get Mrs. Robinson. She already offers it. I mean, the first 15 minutes of the movie, she is... Well, at first, yeah, but then I think he has to kind of... When he has to arrange the hotel, and he's got... In some way, it is kind of a goal of his... Like, yeah, he didn't have to work for it a whole lot, but it's just a goal that he goes for, and then he's just empty when he gets it. I think that the whole movie is punctuated by that, where he goes for things, gets it, and then he's like, all right, this isn't it. Okay. And it seems like he's dragged kicking and screaming to Mrs. Robinson, and from, from my perspective. Yeah, you know, I agree. In a, in a lot of ways. I would say to a point, but then at one point she tells him, like, all right, you know what? You're not ready for this. Forget it. Maybe you feel inadequate. And then he's like, no, 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 no. I, oh, I feel but, very adequate. Well, that's totally a, a, a move. That's her Yeah, move. that's a psychological move. <laughs> but it was his choice in the end. It wasn't How do like, you, dema- you demasculate someone to make them, yeah, step right, up? Right, but again, like, she didn't have to... Con- <laughs> She didn't throw him down on the bed. He ended up slamming the door and going right. after her. We're talking about the scene where, you know, after the initial, yeah. this is way after the initial seduction. This is when they first meet in the hotel room, right? And, uh, you know, you've had that whole leading up, that, that whole sequence leading up to them going to the hotels is, is fantastic. Um, you know, where There's a lot of really, there's a lot of great moments in this movie. Yeah, there's great lines. Mm-hmm. Like just great, com- like 
timing in this movie like right the scene with him and buck henry who plays the bellboy and and the, and the way <laughs> oh great you know yeah. he's he, uh, he's like uh do you want someone to help with your luggage sir he's like oh no i can handle it myself he's like well we could come around and help he's like oh, it's just a toothbrush it's like i can, like, I can and he actually has a toothbrush in his pocket <laughs> like carry it with him <laughs> he comes inside with a toothbrush <laughs> in his pocket i'm all good now I'm saying, you know. and he makes the point to say that you know yeah, yeah. And, and the bell ringing when you know like the timing of the bell ringing when buck henry slams the bell and then dustin huffman puts his hand down and then he slaps and buck henry slaps his hand i mean it's just it's, it's almost like there's this uh, a lot of slapstick humor that's not too slapstick but but just enough so that it, it you know it makes it yeah. a little funnier and dustin hoffman i mean i, I haven't mentioned i thought you know he's, he's he's genius in this movie i mean it's like it's such a it's such a genius physical uh comedic performance i mean he's he's uh you know just the way he he breathes and the way he moves it's, it's so it's so different than what um you know uh, uh, kind of a heroic character pro- you, you might think would, would have, I think. He kind of set the tone for a lot of future nebbish heroes, uh, you know, for, say, Woody Allen. Yeah, um, but you know, you know what? Um, I didn't find him super annoying, and oftentimes yeah. I find nebbishy characters really annoying, and right. I didn't find that with him, so I yeah, think that's I mean, kind of interesting. You know, yeah, I find him very likable, despite the fact that he's having an affair. Um He's still a very likable guy. I think right. it's just, in, in the, yeah, he, he's kind of like he's he's naive and exactly. comes across yes. as very genuine. Yes. You know, he comes across as a very genuine person yeah. who's uh, who's um, you know, and, and we can't say he has a nightmare of a life because his life isn't really a nightmare. He's just That's he doesn't know what to do. He's I think he, for him it is, he's in some he's way upper, it's it's a rich upper class uh, kid who doesn't you know who, who just basically doesn't know what to do next right and like I, I would be not in a sense, not nightmare in the sense of like terror and horror but i think the in the sense in the beginning like you look at it, it, it they're painting a very claustrophobic environment for him he's trying to go upstairs and his dad's dragging him down so people are talking to him every two seconds right he tries to walk away people are cornering him he goes outside the pool the guy's talking about plastic which by the way mm-hmm. we need to address plastics. plastics got one word for you plastics right Classic. very famous line yeah yeah, yeah. Um, um and it, not to get too far into digression here, but since you brought it up, that line where he says, I only got one word for you, plastics. Mm-hmm. Is there anything beyond that symbolically? In oh, the yeah. So yeah. What, what, what's the symbolism? Well, I think if, if we're talking about the fact that, you know, he's chasing after something he thinks he wants and then he gets it and then he's like, well, I don't have it's the idea of emptiness, like the almost the, the emptiness of the American dream. I feel like that's kind of cliched, but mm-hmm. um, but that sense of going for a goal, thinking you're going to want something and getting it. And then it's not what and it, there's an emptiness to it. And I feel like plastic represents that, you know, plastic is symbolic of something fake something hollow empty mm-hmm. sure. um, not inauthentic mm-hmm. yeah that I, same I think, idea I think that, the like, idea of artificiality is yeah. what, what he's going for because i mean some guy says no you should really focus on this one really fake artificial thing that should be your life goal now plastic yeah. to and this, I think to it, this it, day i don't know if he's talking about plastic manufacturing or plastic surgery i think he means everything plastic i think, and I think, I think it's, means, it's deliberately vague yeah yeah oh, i guess so and that's the brilliance of the line i suppose but yeah. um, i think just the industry in, in it yeah but I think it, it highlights the, the I think the hollowness of of the society that he's in at the time. I think it's a very superficial, like empty. Right, superficial is a better word than, than nightmare. I'd say it's like it's a very superficial kind of adrift kind of life. Uh, nightmare is coming off. I, I I don't know. For me, that could be a nightmare. He has nowhere to go. He has nowhere to escape. He has no direction. He's just kind of caught in this limbo, mm-hmm. which for me is a nightmare. But mm-hmm. I, maybe not for everybody. No, it's a strong word. I, I think I it's know. a relatable experience though, because everyone goes to that point in their life where they don't know what they're supposed to be doing, and and everyone feels like they're. And it's gotten even worse nowadays, not to get into too much of a rant, uh, because you see other people doing things that are great all the time on social media. Like, all you do is see other people, like, living their amazing life. Yeah. So it's hard to be like, but why am – what am I doing? I'm not doing that kind of great stuff right now. So I, there's something to be You're said. Not? 
Yeah, I am. Dave, you are, right? <laughs> yeah. well, that, I mean, that's What's wrong with you? I understand completely what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. But the, I, I that's think everyone, the artificial, think... that's like the fakeness of social media. Everyone's doing great things in their life. Everyone is. But I, it's I, just that you're only witnessing those great moments in people's life. You're not witnessing all the other boring It's a collection of a billion amazing moments, but that's across a billion people. So everyone gets one amazing thing. I mean, that's not true. There are people <laughs> who are doing a lot of amazing stuff every day. Um, but we're only seeing the high. We're not seeing the billions of the people who have just as much of a... Um, sense of lacking, I think, as, as the rest of us do, you know? Um, so I think it kind of captures that. I mean, it's not even just um, being a 20-year-old not knowing what you're going to do. I think the movie's capturing a time period, a, a time period in this country where we weren't sure, like, what sure. what, what was going on mm. and yeah. what we were supposed to be doing. It, it, this was right at the start of the Vietnam War. Yeah, I mean, think about this. So you're coming off 1940s and 50s where everything's, like, I- iconic America, right? Like... You know, we're a great country and we're doing great things. And then with the Vietnam War, it's like, but maybe we aren't a great country. Maybe we aren't doing great things. So there's right. something about that. Right. And we're still struggling with uh, civil rights. And, and all this that movie kind of was thing. right at the forefront of that, right? It was it was this movie and uh, Easy Rider was another movie like that. Um, and Easy Rider may be a little bit more um, uh, in your face about the same message. But right. I think The Graduate kind of fits into that same 1960s, 70s sensibility in that right. way. And even Harold and Maude was a movie like that, right? Yes, was, yeah. the, the delightful Harold, Harold and Maude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have an urge to belch on the microphone right now. Um, so, <clears throat> so you think that his okay? Here's my, okay, let's talk about Mrs. Robinson. Okay, what are her motivations? Well, wait, wait a minute. So we, we, never, we I'm sorry. We never we never really answered your question. By the way, about satire. Uh, about, no, no. About uh, does it make sense for him? Okay, yeah. Okay. To, to, to this, Elaine, for this relationship work out, is this Elaine, actually happening? Is it, or does Elaine? I mean. What do you think about Elaine in that Elaine. situation? I think she's she's the typical young doe-eyed girl, or some guy is paying attention. She just wants to, I think, be liked by okay. somebody. Here's she my here's my answer. Jerk. My answer is that this. Okay, is, I'm, I'm okay, done. You're done, Mike. I'm done. I'm off. Dave here's, is going to tell you the truth. Not, Show Dave, us how it's done, Dave. Dave this, is good. this is not necessarily the truth. This is not necessarily the truth. But the way I, I tr- thought about this movie after watching it, I actually watched it today, was that this movie is like an encapsul- encapsulation of, of of youth. <laughs> it's like youth in a nutshell. When you're young. You know, uh, a day seem can seem much longer uh, than it, than it might seem as an adult. You know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. Or a week might seem much longer. You're like, wow, this summer was forever. You know, and really, you know, <laughs> summer flies right by uh, uh, these days for me, at least. Um, so when you're young, everything seems to kind of last longer. So I think you know, one date when you're younger, I think can can seem like it's it's like wow, I really love this person. I'm yeah, I think first love. I think you know it's I mean? that idea that first love. If he falls um, in love, she also was gorgeous, by the way. So yeah, maybe yeah. Do you blame him? Catherine <laughs> Ross. Yeah, she's they were they were both pretty foxy. You gotta say, mom and dad are both uh, no no issues there. Um, that so got, that got weird. You know, that got and, weird and when you're and when you're young, you also kind of make uh, decisions that aren't necessarily as well thought out because you don't have the experience of life. You know, there's it's it's much more difficult. So uh, you make snap decisions. You know, and so this movie is is about a guy who's who's basically just going through all the uh, elements of youth. You know, that he's and he's I, taking risks. He's being he's being uh, rebellious against uh, adults. He's you know, making bad decisions. He's making right. He's making sowing bad his wild oats. But uh, he's taking he, he's taking risks that they could pay off. I mean, for all we know, this relationship may work out and be a great thing for him. So, you know, yeah. it's the kind of thing that you may not do is like, you know, 10, 15 years later in life. But when but you're think, when you're 20 and, and at this point in life where you don't know what you want to do. Do you I, ever have this? Uh, I feel sorry. like it's I feel like this is it's, it, it is potentially possible. And one of the thing I want to say is that uh, that first date doesn't make any sense that she would like him. But 
but the stuff that he does following it, once he realizes he likes her and he, and he keeps chasing her, I started to buy it a little bit more watching it this time. Um, you know, when I was younger, it didn't even occur to me that, you know, it just made it say, oh, they're in love. Okay, fine. You know, he likes her. She likes him. Uh, and I can see how you would watch it now and think, eh, it doesn't make any sense that she's going to actually let him chase her. But there is a certain charm he has to the to the way he goes about things. He's got... Um, He's got charm, I and guess. I, I, don't, I don't necessarily think she's as sold on him as he is on her. I think she's telling, like, will you marry me? And she's like, Agreed. yeah, maybe. And she's dating another guy. I, I mean, I don't know if she's really as in love. I think maybe at first she is. And then there's a whole affair thing. And she's like, well, screw this guy. Right. But also, too, I think we have to keep in mind that the, the, the setting that he, and I'm assuming she is in. When you say the very, affair thing, she finds out that, that he had an affair with her mother. Right, right, right. right. At that, that point, yeah. there's a shift. I think she yeah. was like, not as interested. Most right? women probably wouldn't want to date oh i know i think it's a, i think it's a trait you want in a guy i don't know <laughs> so anyway no but i think I, I think they're both in a situation where i think their parents are both very shallow people very i mean the society they're in this upper middle class like superficiality driven society i can see why the two of them will be hungry for human contact to the point where if you're in like solitary confinement and you come out and you're talking to someone who's also been in solitary confinement both of you are going to be like, oh my God, you know, it's going to be right. this in bond. I feel like that's kind of what they experience a little bit. No, that's, a good, that's yeah, actually a really interesting point. I yeah. That was well phrased yeah. because it's like they're, they're both come from the same, they both are escaping for the first time. Right, right. In an interesting There's way. definitely a lot of an escape motif. In, 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 and in, in a certain way. Where the way he drives at the end, it's like he's escaping something. You know, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I love that car, by the way. I really love that car. The Alfa Romeo. I, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Romeo. So uh, Mrs. Robinson. We well, I, I do want to get into her, but I just wanted to make one of the show. <laughs> oh. Oh. Okay, Mike. Freudian slip. Mike, just because you're filthy. That's <laughs> no, not no, 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 no. I didn't hey, say it. I, hey, I got that, that one. Hey, <laughs> hey, hey. Stay away from Mel Brooks's wife, all right? Mm. Let me tell you. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, so... Mike, you talked about, like, the idea of kids doing st- – like, I don't know if you have this experience, but every time I watch, like, a coming-of-age movie, it's always it always focuses on kids, like, making bad decisions or having, like, that crazy night in their life where they, they're always the good kid that does one crazy thing. Mm-hmm. I never had that experience in my life, and because of movies, yeah, I really – I. <laughs> I really regret not having that experience. Don't you nah. wish you, like, we had that one crazy night where shit got nuts nah. and well, – we No, because – More of a movie thing, really. Is that only a movie thing? Yeah, because I think, I think shit like thing. that happens. You get arrested, you have a criminal record, and you can't get a job. <laughs> Or know, you had right? an affair with your with your neighbor's wife. I'm sorry, that has repercussions in your life. That's going to screw you up. Maybe that's the joy and fantasy of movies is that idea that you can do that and there are no repercussions. Because right. in real life, you're like, I just really don't want to be arrested. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. And I would I would almost guess that half of those movies are probably written by people who don't have, who didn't have that kind of thing. And it's almost like, you know, a, a fantasy of like, this is what it would be like, an ideal, or maybe they have, and... I don't know. I don't anyway, know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I digress. Getting back to Mrs. Robinson. Why am I on yeah. this podcast? I don't know, Mike. <laughs> what what is the um what is I mean, what is her what is her play here? What does she get out of this relationship? Is it strictly a sexual thing where she wants or is it a power thing? What is it? I, I, I think, think she's a, I think she's uh, a broken person. Yeah. And, and I think that um it's almost like he's. It's almost like he's a drug or something, you know. Like it, like she's she's looking to get high. In, but he's in a way. not like a stud. No, he's not a stud, but he's available, you know. So it's just the fact that he's there. Yeah, and maybe I, I and maybe it's, it's a little a, bit of a of, you know like a, a screw you to. Um, it sounds like her situation was that she was young, like a, maybe not. A, who knows what her situation? Young, rich, poor, middle class. Who knows what her situation was? She gets knocked up um, and has uh, has to get married. So. And, and she's been stuck in this life for for twenty years. The guy uh, she doesn't really so, care that much about. And right. So this is finally her opportunity to like uh, I don't know. So um, her wild oats. Say uh, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna cause a bit of drama here amongst well, amongst uh, the fam- amongst I, the family uh, 
friends and family. I think that I don't know if she necessarily wants to create drama because I think she she would have if she wanted to. I think it's more about like the attention. I think you're saying you know you're talking about her not having much of a youth. I guess she didn't have too many. I don't know. Maybe she feels like she never got to express herself and she wants to have other. She missed out. I definitely feel like this is a person who feels like she missed out on on a lot. And again, if we're if we're basing this on a society where it's like very superficial, there's no you can see there's no real love between any of these people. Like you know the parents of of the, of the I mean he, they kind of love him in a weird way in a way that he is not satisfactory to him. I think her and her husband don't have, really have much of a relationship well, either. They're, they're two alcoholics, right? Right, right, right. So you start looking at it, you say like, well, she probably just wants affection, she wants attention, she wants to feel like she's young again, she wants to feel like she has all you know. It's a power thing. I think it's an attraction thing. I think it's a wanting to stay young. I think it's a lot of stuff. Well, I think that then uh, Ben's. Uh, inexperience is what I think that the fact that he's not a stud, he's not some Lothario, he's just kind of like a almost I don't want to say dweeby, but he's a you know he's like a nebbishy dude mm. uh, who doesn't know his way about the world. I think that's what attracts Ben to Mrs. Robinson because she wants the power and control. And I wouldn't necessarily, I mean, I don't even think it's an attraction thing because I mean she wants no. It's not like. She doesn't even want to experience any form of relationship. Yeah, with him. she doesn't want to talk to it's, him at it, all. It has yeah. nothing. To, it has nothing to do with being with another person. Like, so if you're in a bad relationship, sometimes you know the idea of having an affair is about you're getting something that you don't get in your relationship. Well, she's getting the sense just to be entirely in control, uh, is what is what I take from it. She she maybe she's not in yeah, control yeah. in her relationship with her husband, and now she's in the situation where she's calling all the shots, and she doesn't want to interact with another human being. She wants to use another human being. Is the way mm-hmm. I would. Uh, yeah. Right, yeah. Um, and that, I mean, because one of my favorite sequences is when he tries to have a conversation with her and how badly that goes. A, because he keeps on calling her Mrs. Robinson, which I, th- I find very funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. No matter what, he's always calling her Mrs. Robinson. And I don't she think talks, he ever actually tell us her first it, name. Uh, I don't think so either. Yeah. And then he's mm-hmm. like, and he talks about, oh, let's talk about art. She's like, I don't know anything about art. I don't care. What was your major in college? It was art. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so right. stuff like that, I think, is really, is kind of really uh, telling and interesting about that kind of thing. She's almost like, um, this goes into the symbolism of the movie, but she's a huntress who's trying to hunt for her prey. And Ben is the prey in this case. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the way that she manipulates him psychologically. The way, the way she like, leads him into the house at the beginning. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. And even just like like just visually. So in that room where she offers him a drink and has a smoke, it's like a jungle. Mm-hmm. Like there's just like tons of like, there's just <laughs> plants. And it looks like she, and I just, that can't be by accident for it all to oh, be and, like. And also, so a little bit on the color, we'll, We'll get into it a little bit more later. <laughs> a lot of blues and greens. A lot of <laughs> no, no, well, blue, yeah, but no. And that that room is almost entirely black. Like mm-hmm. all the set design is black, and the exterior of the house is white, mm-hmm. much like his parents' house. Uh, Ben's parents' house is like a white exterior, and so there's a lot of like black furnishing. Mm-hmm. And I think it kind of that idea, that idea that like it's this very clean, happy, wealthy outside, and inside there's just it's darker. There's not as much. It's not as clean as the outside. I think that's she's letting him into this like very dark world from this very clean, innocent, you know, place that he was in previously. The, the opening shot of the movie starts with him over a field of white, and then later on you see his head over black. The minute like he becomes seduced, and that whole montage. There's a lot of shots with him in front of black uh, oh, right. backgrounds and backdrops. Right, right. Um, yeah, I mean that's just, that, it's just yeah, corruption. I mean the corruption of innocence. Maybe that's what's so attractive to him is that he's this innocent, like you know, wide-eyed young kid. 
Hmm. Um, and she just wants to corrupt that and ruin it. It's almost like I wish we could talk to someone who was actually uh, alive there? during this time period. Not there in the movie, but like, you know. Me, like, you, Dave? Oh, <laughs> oh nice. Got him. You got, got him. him. You got, got him, man. Uh, yeah, now I can reveal that <laughs> I was there. I have opening night in 1967. Um, because I, I feel like you would have, uh, you know, I'm, 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 like I said, I'm pushing the same age as I'm getting close to 40. Mrs. Robinson is in her early, probably her early 40s. And so I'm getting closer to an age where I would maybe understand, but it, I'm definitely at a different point in my life. Like I just had, a I baby. should hope so. Just, Dave. I mean, Jeez. I have a two year old, almost a two year old. Uh, so it's, I can't really identify with, with a, with a person who's been through, uh, you know, uh, 20 years of a marriage and 20 years of, of raising kids and, Wait, I gotta, um, I, I, and, and what, what, what happens to a person in that, in that life. So, uh, it's, it's hard to understand exactly, uh, what this person's feeling. I, I, I would compare, compare her a little bit to, um, Lester Burnham in American Beauty, which is oh yeah, good call. Which uh, you know, he's kind of a broken person who actually finds a kind of a release valve in a way of this young girl uh, that he wants to sleep with, right? Um, there's there's a little bit of similarity, I would but say, that that's like a totally uh, that's like an opposite relationship because right. in that relationship, the teen girl has the power, right? And he mm. he doesn't, and in this one, Mrs. Robinson does, right? So. Right, but. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's hard to say exactly what happens to a person. And, and, and you know, there's this one scene in The Graduate uh, where um, he's driving to Elaine's house to pick her up for a date in the rain, right? And she stops him, jumps in the car. She's wet. Um, she doesn't necessarily explain herself, but I think the tone in Anne Bancroft's performance kind of sells her um, – Gives her a little bit more of a soul. I mean, you could play this character a different way where she's kind of Cruella de Vil and just like a one-dimensional villain. But I think her performance uh, shows like kind of like a lost person inside. You know, you can really kind of see that there's mm-hmm. this person who's like, um, you know, the way the way she talks to him, the way she says, you know, if you uh, if you go out with a, if you go out with my daughter, then I'm going to tell her everything. Basically, I'm willing to jump on the grenade um, i'm willing to like blow myself up and ruin everyone's life if you were to you know not do what i say yeah and i think that you know that and, and a person who does that kind of thing is is a person who's deeply hurt inside right it's not just a cruel person it's a person who's been hurt and um you know i i'm sure as you know, someone who knows a lot more about psychology could go on further about it but she's a person who's been hurt and this is how she's expressing herself she doesn't know how else to do it but see what's interesting is that she says that right but it's it's clear to me that when he runs in the house to tell elaine Mm -hmm. her face shows that she never wanted this to come out i don't think she was ever planning on telling anyone about this and i think he kind of called her bluff you could see that her face is just like you're talking about the shot where he's telling her and then elaine's behind her she's she's behind she's like far away down the hallway on the other side of the door and she's soaking wet from the rain her face is not one uh, like she looks terrified and she's hurting her daughter i don't think she wants to hurt her daughter necessarily right but i'm saying the point is that she's making that threat but i'm not sure if she would have ever followed up on it because i think she was just using it to keep him at bay Mm -hmm. um and furthermore i'd say that like yeah i agree i think she's very she's well developed because she obviously cares about her daughter um I think it's half jealousy that that she doesn't want you know a younger woman stealing him away. It's it's a loss of that power, but I think also it's the fact that it's her daughter. I think she does care about her, and she doesn't want like if this is the kind of man that's willing to sleep with a woman, have an affair. I don't want him near my daughter. Mm-hmm. She even kind of says like, "You're not good for my daughter. You're, you're good enough for me, but you're not good enough for my daughter." If this is the kind of person you are, mm-hmm. um, so I agree with. You. I think that that's well developed. She's not just a villain; she's a, a wounded, screwed mm-hmm. up person. You right. know? Yeah, yeah. It's just. Um 
you mentioned like uh, the time period when this uh, getting someone who was of age when this movie came out. I mean, like, how was this? I feel like this would have been very subversive when this movie comes out in 1967. Oh, for sure it was. Uh, yeah. and, and, and subversive in interesting ways, because when you think of subversive, you think of movies like Caligula, which are just like nudity <laughs> and like... And sex. And sex. Right. But there's like, there's no nudity. There's hardly any nudity in this movie. I mean, mm-hmm. if there's any, it's like so brief that you can barely even Flash see rate. it. It's probably, it was probably like the PG-13 or mm-hmm. PG, I guess. Uh, I probably know. not just because there is a little, but like the sex scenes aren't even in the movie. It's all we need the it's only the prelude and the aftermath right, yeah. right. Or, or getting to that. So that's not, I, and it's one thing I love about this movie actually too, because I think this could have easily turned into, it's a salacious relationship between a young yeah, man yeah. And, and, and it's 40 year old woman. Like there's something about that that I think is incredibly interesting that that that's not the movie that they wanted to make. This wasn't, this movie's not meant to titillate anybody. At least right. I don't think it is. No. Um, so I, I think that's an interesting choice uh, with the film and what it's trying to say about, it's various topics. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, uh, I'm curious. Did, did you guys watch this with, with this with no. this with anybody? Just watched it myself. Yes, watched it with my girlfriend. Yeah. Did she like it? Yeah, she seemed to like it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think we, we both definitely enjoyed the comedy of it. I mean, she was laughing through like throughout the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think yeah. I mean, we when we talk about it. We were afterward, and I, I think it was yeah. I mean, as far as I know, she didn't dislike it. So, what were some of the scenes that you guys felt were the, like the funniest scenes when you? Were I, watching I love the, the hotel. Okay, I think when she's originally tr- trying to seduce him and his, just his fumbling and whoa, oh my god, oh my god, I can't. Believe it. I mean, she's like standing there naked. <laughs> this is Robinson. Yeah, and he's just like trying. He's like trying to look at her and not look at her at the same time. And, and then I just even more so than that, I think just the the interplay in the hotel when he's trying to get a room and he thinks like people are gonna like look at him, people are spying on him, and everyone knows what he's doing, and just even some, like, slapsticky kind of stuff, when he goes to the front desk, and there's a guy that's standing there, the bellboy, and he says hello, and then, like, he just turns around, and some other dude, like, appears from below the <laughs> countertop, like, I can help you, <laughs> or, like, he, isn't there a thing where he's standing off to the side, and he's whispering, and the guy over, like, it's just a lot of things like that, there's a lot of, like, really just funny, genuinely very funny stuff that I really appreciate did not rely on pop culture. Mm-hmm. That you're not like, oh yeah, I remember when that was funny. This right. is genuinely funny and even now. Cause it's just it's smart humor. It's yeah, I, you know, yeah. I, I, it feels timeless because it's not yeah. all uh, all pop culture referency. It's yeah, yeah. little things too that I mean I don't even know how you write stuff like some of the stuff they did. Yeah, right. Yeah. For like. <laughs> So when he's trying to get to the hotel, there's just a bunch of old people coming out of it. And he's yeah. like, there's this shot where he's just trying to get into the hotel and he can't. And like, right. that's like, it's it's funny in this weird, awkward way. My, my, I think the funniest scene in the movie is when he takes Elaine to the hotel. And he's like, oh, hello, Mr. Gladstone. Yeah, hello. Yeah. Get out of here. Get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> where he's had the affair with Mrs. Robinson then, yeah. for many months. There's already. even like a little person that comes up. He's like, hello. <laughs> it's, like, it's, like, yeah. it, it, it's just, I think that's my, I think the funniest scene in the movie. And, and they, they weren't afraid to waste a little bit of time just for the joke. Like when he walks into the event. Because mm-hmm. he feels like he, oh, I'm here for the event. Yeah, well, I better go do that event. He walks over to the event, and people are asking him questions. And Are he's you like, here for the affair? Is the right? There's right, that right, right, Yeah, right. there's that. And then eventually, he's like, well, if I'm going to sell this, then I have to go to that event. And then he walks all the way over there, has an awkward exchange at the door, and then like just like sprints out of there back at the front desk. Like they didn't, they weren't afraid to waste time, some screen time on that, just just for the sake of a joke. It didn't add anything to the plot. Yeah, and then but it's entertaining. And then I think the opening sequence, just I think the my I think the best edited sequence in the entire film actually is the opening party at his 
parents' house. When he's coming down, he's just being surrounded in the way it's claustrophobically mm-hmm. filmed and the way the camera's following stays him. stays on his face. stays yeah. on his face. And like yeah. just like little moments like, oh, what are you planning on doing now? Well, I was planning on going upstairs. <laughs> right, then, yeah. Go, yeah. what are you doing with your life? Like it's just uh, – it, it feels almost over the top, but at the same time it still feels grounded, which I think is the ultimate achievement of The Graduate and talking about the ending and whether or not it's real is so much of this movie is over the top, mm-hmm. but never to the point where it goes – you're like, oh, I'm watching – It doesn't watching, feel like a Terry Gilliam I'm, movie. <laughs> Or just or like, Tim Burton, or no. or a uh, or just like a spoof movie, or a Zucker a Zucker Brothers movie, or something. It it still manages to stay. It somehow grounds the audience yeah. in a situation that is very much not grounded. Right. That whole end sequence is so ridiculous. He goes yeah. to a wedding. It's and a very romantic I- idea, right? To to drive for miles and miles to like uh, stop the bride at the altar and whip her, you know, away and and uh, it is you know, run off. It is. Sail into the sunset. Or but whatever. I wanted right, to yeah. get into the idea that you mentioned earlier in this podcast, Dave, is Ben's a little creepy. Yeah. And like, there's something a little bit creepy about that as well. That last and 30 minutes, he's kind of stalking He's uh, essentially Elaine. stalking a girl. Um, and and to top it off, like, uh, like uh, this is going to be a really random reference. Okay. So that, you guys ever play the video game Braid? No. What? Okay, no. I, I don't know. No. Video game guy, no. So in the game Braid, in the course of the game, you're constantly trying to rescue a princess. You're mm-hmm. chasing after her to stop her from uh, this guy who has kidnapped her, and you're trying to get her back. But in the end of the game, it is revealed that he, the guy that you're chasing after who has taken her, is actually protecting her from you because you're chasing <laughs> after her, and she's the protector. No, but think about that. So That's, that's amazing. Yeah. So like, it's the idea that you think that you're you're really the pursuer, and in doing that, you're actually really creepy- and I think that that's kind of, in a way, there, there's there's something about that that, like... Mm, I need to play that. That is amazing. So <laughs> you're saying Ben is kind of the villain, possibly, I think <laughs> at the he, end. I don't want to classify him as a villain. I think that he in is... This scenario, in this comparison. Yes. And I, think I think this trope is very much like... Yeah, I think... Because this happens over and over again. This could be one of the original originators of the fact that, like, I'm going to chase you after you and show up at your window while, yeah. you know... Which always seems romantic well, unless you're the, creepy about this it. This is the love actually thing where people are like, it's so romantic that he showed up at that woman's house with those cards when she was with her husband. Or the and movie Say Anything where John Cusack is standing out her window holding a boombox boom box or something yeah, like that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. If someone held a boombox outside of your house, you'd be like, that man is a serial killer. <laughs> Server of the peace calling yeah. the cops immediately. Right. So, I mean, I think that this movie, if you view it in a very dark way, it kind of is like the advert. It's like... It's like the uh, the reality of how creepy that kind of is, and right. at least I, because I don't think because because of the way the movie ends and the the reaction shots, it doesn't give you, it doesn't let you just enjoy the Hollywood moment. Mm-hmm. It, it makes you think about that in a way that most movies will not, and that's I think a testament to either Mike Nichols as a director or just the film as a whole. So, well, I think something that this movie does that it wouldn't put it wouldn't put him into villain status for me is that you can. Genuinely read the the actual. Um, he's he's genuinely he genuinely wants this right for for I think for reasons that he believes are good right he re, yeah. he re, you know, at the end you really uh, his performance Dustin Hoffman's performance really it, it's very. Um, it's a very naked performance. So you really believe that he's really in love with Elaine and that he's really, you know, he sees Elaine at the altar and her getting married at the end. And he, you, you understand that this is a person who's like basically hit bottom and is willing to do anything. He's willing to like embarrass himself in front of a crowd by slamming on, 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 on plate glass and, and yelling her name, Elaine, 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 which is another very famous mm. scene that's been parodied 
uh, over and over again. And then, you know, uh, swing a, a cross at people and like, you know, whip <laughs> and yeah. hop on a bus with her. I mean, he it's... locks the church doors with, with a cross. With a cross, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's fantastic. Uh, um, yeah, and it's it's a, there's a, actually this movie when I, when I when I owned this movie on VHS, I had this 25th anniversary edition that had a documentary at the end, and the documentary had this interview with Dustin Hoffman, where he actually talked about that last scene where he's banging on the glass, and that that was shot in in this church where the guy, the pastor who ran the church, was very very concerned about all the 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 things they were doing, the hoopla, all the all the things they were doing. He didn't understand the all the mechanics that go into creating a movie, and so I think it was written into the script that he was going to bang on the glass. And and the story that Dustin Hoffman tells says the pastor was like, "No, you cannot bang on the forget it. You're going to break the glass. That glass is very expensive. It's you know what if something happens?" And so Mike Nichols said, "Okay, well, what if you just like kind of tap on the glass? You know, like tap with your finger." So that's why when you see. <clears throat> When you see Dustin Hoffman's face, you don't actually see his fist like slamming on the glass. You see this long shot of him like with his hands up in the air, and you don't really see like a lot of movement. I think the sound kind of sells. Yeah, sells so I was thinking, it doesn't look like he's like slamming on the glass. He's like he's just like tapping yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's it's uh, it's it's just more the 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 voice and and the yelling and the pleading. I mean, you really you can really feel it in his performance. But uh, at the same time, it, I thought it was interesting that he couldn't actually do much because of whatever. Yeah, I um, think that's. Uh... Yeah, it's it's it's. it's okay, so okay. I, I didn't get to say what my favorite funny scenes were. Oh, well, now you can. <laughs> like, Fine. We've reserved this forty-five minutes this for is, you, Dave. Uh, Sorry, there's all a, there's, about Dave. So, isn't it? so we have there's a, there are these series of scenes where he's he's basically rented out a room so that he can stock Elaine, right? He's living. Uh, it's, I don't know what you would call it. It's not a fraternity house. It's some. It's like a. It's like a housing for young men. For I, I guess. I guess. Right. Complex. He actually has. You know. He's. He's talking to the land. I, I love the guy who plays the landlord he's in good, this. Yeah. In this. In the scene. So there's a scene where he comes back, and Mrs. Robinson. Mrs. Robinson's husband is there waiting for him. Marie Hamilton, who plays the mayor in Jaws. Um, oh yeah, good connection. Right? Same, yeah, that's why guy. he looks so familiar. Right. Damn, he's the right. same same actor. Um, and he, he basically just won't let uh, Dustin Hoffman speak. He's like, I think you're filth. I think you're disgusting. You're, you're a degenerate. Outside right. And he walks outside, and, and, the, and it's, the, it's the actual direction and camera movement of that scene that really sells the comedy. He, you know, he's standing outside. You don't think anyone else is there. And it pans to the landlord who's just standing there like aghast with, aghast with a cigar in his mouth or something. <laughs> and for, for whatever reason, today when I watched it, I just laughed out loud at that, that, that moment. I thought this, that was pretty hilarious. You've, you, he, uh, he confirms every suspicion that he has had. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. this yeah. is a landlord who has a little bit of suspicion about Dustin Hoffman's character. He calls him an agitator, which... I don't know what is what is protester? it protester. I guess, I, I, I like guess a, he thought he's like a Vietnam War protester. Or yeah, something. that's what I, like. I, I don't know. Yeah. He's like, no, sir. I'm just you know, I'm just a regular guy. And uh, so for me, that was the scene that stood out. <laughs> you know, I thought it was pretty hilarious. And also, that's the initial seduction scene in the hotel room where he just kind of grabs Mrs. Robinson's breast, <laughs> and then he kind of just walks to the wall, starts banging his head against the wall, <laughs> yeah. like I can't do this. And she doesn't even react. She's like, yeah, like what? Yeah, yeah. You know. So I thought that was pretty hilarious too. And and it's like. It, I remember thinking it was funny back then, but I mean, those scenes really hold up. It's still just, it's pretty hilarious. You know? the, Go ahead, so Mike. one real quick uh, tidbit. Sure. Did you notice the sample track that was used in the Macarena in the 90s? No. no. It's the scene where she says, Benjamin, I'm not trying to seduce you. That that line is in the mock. I don't know why it's in the Macarena, but if you go back and listen to it, there's a. it's like in the background. You're like, I'm not trying to seduce you. Interesting. 
Yep. I had no idea. There you go, boys. There were That's of, why there were I'm on the podcast. There were a lot of songs in the 90s up. where they sampled. Remember Jerry Maguire? They had that uh, Bruce Springsteen song where it was like half of it was Tom Cruise and Renee Zellweger yeah, 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 talking yeah. Well, to I think it was other. probably for the, for the movie, right? Much like... Um, uh, Titanic had the Celine, Celine Dion, Dion song, song with, right. with clips from right. Titanic. Yeah. Which means we, we, I wasn't born This yet. is reminding me we should talk at least a little bit about the soundtrack. Simon oh, yeah, Garfunkel. Simon and yeah, Garfunkel. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, oh, you don't like, you don't like it. I, 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 I get tired of hearing uh, the same. Uh, the, the Scarborough, suffers, I don't need to hear Scarborough Affair 20 this, times. This suffered <laughs> a little bit from the, uh, the, the Top Gun <laughs> syndrome of playing the same track over and over again. Now, yeah, granted, this, this is, is a better track. Music, but this is it's good right, music. Right, it's good music, but it was, you're right. It was the same lines over and over again. Yeah, no, I, I think they play Scarborough Affair like three times in the three movie. Three or four times. Uh, yeah. They might. And, they, and it's they, the same verse. And they, too. Play one t- they play it once, like all the way through. There's a whole sequence they play the entire song. Right. Uh, but up until, we should say, up until this point, there weren't really, I mean, pop music really wasn't a, th- a thing in movies, right? That's you know, true. This yeah. is a, I mean, it's this a great uses it through, This uses it throughout. There's almost no uh, orchestral score. It's, no, it's it's all that music, and it's all, uh, every song is just, oh, I've heard that song before. It's right. like, the, yeah, and it's been parodied. I mean, you have like the uh, Sounds of Silence is done. Sure. Um, the most recent that Arrested was Development. Arrested right. Development did it a lot. Yeah, right. like, like yeah, as right. many that, times as the movie did. Friend. Right, that shows up twice <laughs> in the movie, right? It shows up at the beginning, the opening scene where he's just going down the conveyor belt coming back from the I airport. I think it happens more than twice. And also in, in the uh, sequence where it kind of like just shows time passing. And Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then of course Mrs. Robinson, which has been covered a million times. Since, right, but, but there's yeah. no actual. It, all it is is the chorus in this movie. Yeah, right? there's no because uh, I think the verses ha- had not been written at this point, and, and based on this, uh, I think this movie this was obviously a successful soundtrack. Was so this they, made? Was that song made for the movie? Or? When I when I, I like looked and read today, it was originally called Mrs. Roosevelt, and, and Mike Nichols liked the song and said, "Can you change it to Mrs. Robinson?" And then here's to you, Mrs. Robinson, instead of Mrs. Here's Roosevelt. You, Mrs. And then which um, felt weird because it's like it's. At the time when he's like just abandoned her and he's going after her daughter, like it is just I don't know, whatever. Woo woo woo. Know, maybe there's a little, maybe there's a little uh, sarcasm to that song. I know, think like I a, think I, th- I think it's supposed to be sarcastic. Yeah. yeah. Like, Jesus loves you more. Here's to you, think. like a middle finger to Mrs. Robinson. What is he really that like angry at her? Enough to uh, well, yeah, I think he's, he's a little angry. I don't know if he's angry at her. I think he's sticking it to her by going after his daughter, her mm. daughter. So he's a little bit focused on the other. <laughs> woman <laughs> it's a catchy song let's not argue yeah. about there it there you go that's the reason yeah. anyway I like I mean because you know the other movie we saw this year that had a lot of was was Harold and Maude that had the, the soundtrack to Cat that was very, was very pivotal to the that movie and I guess that's what I thought of when I watched it there were a lot of songs kind of repeated throughout Harold and Maude mm-hmm. if I remember correctly if you want to uh Reach out, shout out. What was that song at the end? Oh, if you want to sing out? If you want to sing out, sing out. Yeah, right. If right. you want. Okay, I'm not going to yeah. sing. Uh, uh, that's a bad idea. Yeah. All right. So, any final thoughts you want to say about The Graduate before we close out today's episode? Uh, no. Because I it's, so. I mean, I feel like, I hope this conversation wasn't too boring because I feel like we just talked about how much we liked the movie. But that's it's going to happen. It's, it's going to happen. It's a good movie. And I, it deserves I, I, to be I, will, I do want to mention one thing. Um, I remember I used to read Roger. Remember Roger Ebert used to have these giant books that you, you could get, like uh, Ebert's. Every year, I remember Leonard com- Malton used to have them. Leonard Malton had them, but Roger Ebert's were always like full length reviews, not little capsule reviews. So every year, I used to get Roger Ebert. Not every year, every few years, I used to get Roger Ebert's book where you could read in depth reviews. And I remember one year getting uh, uh, his review of The Graduate, where it was it was like an anniversary. Maybe it was the twenty fifth anniversary, where he basically had a similar re- reaction to how I have, where he as a when he reviewed it in sixty seven, he gave it four stars and said, you know, he didn't have. He actually didn't have that much in depth to say about the movie, but as uh, thirty years or twenty five years later, 
he he uh, he changed his review to three stars, saying, you know, this guy is a, is a jerk. You know, like, why are we cheering for this guy? You know, where, you know, 30 years before uh, Roger Ebert said, uh, like, this guy is like a. What a cat- he, Go ahead. Mike. So uh, my point, my point is, is that there's not, you know, I can understand how someone might see this movie and think, I don't get it. You know, he's a jerk. In fact, I actually, I actually saw it with an ex-girlfriend years and years ago. And she and she I said, well, you don't like this movie? And she said. It's kind of creepy. And that's he, when she became an ex-girlfriend. <laughs> Boom. No, no, no. You know, he sleeps with her mother, and then he's in love with her daughter. That's kind of gross, you know, because I guess she's putting herself in that position, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. we, we can't, we but can't. So be- essentially you're saying that, that you and Roger Eber are around the same level. It would have been interesting on this particular podcast to get a female perspective maybe on, on this whole on this whole thing. It you know? would right. always be interesting to get a female perspective <laughs> on this podcast. This one in particular because... I just think, don't think the movie gives you an easy... But I don't think the movie is making it seem like what he's doing is not creepy, which is why I think it still works. Right. I think it's still kind of criticizing Ben in a lot of ways. Yeah, I don't think right. it's still I agree. Him a hero. I, I don't agree with Roger Ebert. I, I think, um, you know, there's a little more... There's oh, so you're saying you're better than Roger Ebert. I'm sorry. Yeah. I misunderstood yeah. that. <laughs> It's not doing, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, it's not making the audience say, oh, you have to side with Bennett. You can mm-hmm. look at him and be critical of his actions. I, I guess think what he, they, he, he is, is characterized by, I think, like alternating like impulse and then like just absolute uh, lethargy and just uh, listlessness. And actually, that was the other half of the color thing I was going to mention is that blue and red are in the movie a lot. And he's floating in a blue pool. Blue is a very cold, inactive color. It's very like lack <laughs> of true. action. And red is the opposite. Red is the most, right. it's the hottest, most active color. The red alpha remains. The red car. He's yeah. in the blue pool just drifting along. I think it, it, that, that's his character. He goes in between like, I don't know Sparks. what I want to do. I don't want to, I'm going to do this. I want to do mm-hmm. this. No, I don't know if it's what I want to do. And if you, at the end, when he's going after, what's her name? There is, if you look at that end of the movie, the gas station is like blue and red. Mm-hmm. He's driving in a red car. That's reminding me. That's another line I loved where he's like, he jumps into the car. He's, he's, pretend, he's pretending to be the pastor for the service. And the gas station attendant says, do you need any gas, father? I don't know. That's like a little throwaway line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just as he speeds off. Yeah. And runs out of gas. And yeah, runs out of gas and has to. And, run. and again, even that, like that's the idea. Like he doesn't he kind of run out of gas at the end of the movie. He gets yeah. the girl, and then he's like, ah. Oh, and then he's got uh, an empty tank. So where where do you think these guys end up? I mean, do you have any uh, these two characters? I think they hang out and then end up going back to their respective families and then move on different lives. I, I don't yeah. think it's a relationship that, that yeah. lasts. I can see that. Yeah. This interview that I saw with Dustin Hoffman, he always thought they actually ended up getting married, having like a, a you know like a couple kids themselves, and then. You know, maybe uh, Dustin Hoffman's character ends up uh, turning into Mrs. Robinson, having an affair with a younger kid or something. Like that. Oh man, that's heavy. <laughs> Which could have that been. is heavy duty. <laughs> well, that's a good way to end it. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, who knows? I mean, it's not. Yeah, it's it's kind of a happy, but also not quite happy ending, right? So, any uh, other final comments? I don't think so. I, I think, think we, uh, you think we did it think justice. We, yeah, I did. The Graduate. Uh, See it. Yeah. If you haven't. If you yeah, have, no, this is definitely a movie that holds put up. Put it on the shelf. It's on my shelf. Yeah, this is a good one. Um, yeah, so closing out this episode, uh, if you want to find us on the web, you can do so at reviewedpodcast.com. You can also look at our uh, older episodes. So we've done been doing this for a year now, so we've got, we do it bi-weekly, so uh, we have 20... Uh, 26 total. Yeah, yeah go burn a day listening to us. this one. Yeah, so go, go you know... Catch up and listen to the old ones. And again, thanks for listening throughout this time. Or on Facebook.com slash Reviewed Podcast. Those are mouth noises from Dave. He just had a cookie. I'm sorry. Uh, You're taking over the mouth noises I I made cookies for our one-year anniversary, everybody. So I hope the audience is enjoying this. That's the reality. Okay. (laughs) We got them in Udhome. The next movie. Oh, well, yeah. What is our next movie? Uh, Punch Drunk Love. We want to do that? Yeah, it's fine. We just did. Yeah, it's we, fine. We just did a PTA movie, which was my only hesitation about that. But well, I, we did I, I that. We, but we did that for a different reason, right? We did. Uh, why did we do Magnolia? 
Because he's just coming out with a movie or something. Oh, well, Paul Thomas Anderson was coming out. I thought there was another reason we did Magnolia. I just think it's a, Magnolia was an interesting movie to revisit. Yes, but, it was. True. Uh, there wasn't uh, any. Wasn't there wasn't any like connection. And Mike that. hadn't seen it. All right, okay, Surprise! All right. It wasn't like well, Batman and Michael Keaton and Birdman. And right, 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 right. So we're yeah, doing and this and because I, Paul Thomas Anderson has. A well, just because we talked about like how it's a very different, it's very optimistic, and mm-hmm. we often so often watch such depressing. I mean, The Graduate's a perfect example. Mm-hmm. It's a sad ending. I'm like mm-hmm. this something that ends on a more. Positive note. Have you seen Punch Drug Love? I'm staring daggers at Dave (laughs) right now. I said, seriously. No, I'm not. Yeah, well, we're going to close out. uh, Yeah, we'll do Punch Drug Love and be our next one. Yep. Um, We'll see you in 2015. Yeah, we'll figure that out. I forget. Yeah, maybe the end of the end of the year. I don't know. I don't think I'm going to be around. Oh. We can figure this out offline, but gentlemen. Okay, no, no, okay. So, Mike, (laughs) where can people find you on the internet? You can find me at my website at mikemirandi.com or on Twitter at mikemirandi. Also, if you're on the Tumblers, I'm on there too, for the record. <laughs> mikemirandi.tumblr.com. Oh, wow. I don't have a Tumblr. Okay, Dave, You should get on that. I also don't have a Tumblr. Don't care. Uh, Dave Glanz on Twitter. <laughs> G-L-A-N-Z, DaveGlanzProductions.com. And he is not on Tumblr. Don't go looking for him don't there. Even try, don't, don't even think about it. I really want someone to make a parody Dave Glanz account on Tumblr. Right I want to do it. I want to do it. I'm going to post pictures of him it, reviewing it, things with yeah, Robert it, Ebert. It's just like, Roger Ebert. It's just him slamming Ebert in various ways. <laughs> I love Roger Ebert. <laughs> And uh, you, uh, you can find me on the web at uh, at Ivan Kander. That's K A N D E R on Twitter. My website is luckynine and I am an editor at shortoftheweek.com. That is shortoftheweek.com. Dot com. Dot com. Uh, um, so you can read my writing and uh, watch great short films there. So I guess until next year, uh, unless barring any changes, you can check the Facebook page for updates. We will see you. Uh, Guys in 2015. Awesome. Happy holidays, Merry Happy Christmas, Happy later, everybody. Hanukkah, Thanks. Merry Kwanzaa, Happy New Year, Festivus, Festivus. Thanks for listening. Um, when I mentioned I have a podcast, he listened to all of them in a span of like two days and was wow. like, You guys are awesome. It's really good. Cool. I was kind of hoping for the 2001, you were going to go into all, and he starts streaming all this information about the movie, and I'm like, Huh. Streaming all this. I can't believe someone's actually listening to this. I know. (laughs) I feel feel really bad for everyone. I feel feel sorry for that guy. It's like, oh, God, you can't get that time back. What you could have been doing so much. You could have finished the audit. You could have finished the entire film in that time.